Welcome to HR Fresh Take, brought to you by Philly Sherm. Stay fresh with the latest HR trends impacting the Philadelphia region. I am your host, Dr. Joe Vasquez. Historically, people do not associate innovation with human resources. HR professionals aren't typically perceived to be thought leaders within their organizations. Stereotypes of HR being only a support function can get in the way. As a follow-up to the article recently published in our March Philly Sherm newsletter, we chat with Gary Dumay, business psychologist and human resource consultant at Select Human Resources. We will dive deeper into how HR professionals can be thought leaders and leverage this role into becoming strategic business partners. Welcome, Gary. Thank you, Dr. Joe. Hey, Gary. It's great to have you. Thank you. Thank you for coming. And and also, thank you for doing the article for our March newsletter. It was very eye-opening and um, we really, I, I think I really enjoyed reading it. So I just wanted to, you know, start out with um, asking you, let the audience know um, something about you. So who are you? A little bit about me. <laughs> um, thank you for the kudos on the article. I appreciate it. And I appreciated writing it for Philly Sherm and the Thought Leadership Committee. Uh, who am I? I'm Gary Dumay, last name pronounced like the month of May. So it's easy <laughs> to remember, Dumay. I'm a business psychologist and human resource consultant. Uh, That could be a lot of things, but for me, I specialize in people assessments, which basically means that I profile people for jobs, high-level jobs, CEO, CFO, director level, management level, et cetera. Uh, And in doing that, I protect companies from making bad hiring decisions. And I'm sure we all have stories about that bad hire and how all the uh, problems they created. So I help companies avoid that. Um, I've got about 20 years of experience. I've worked for major HR consulting firms like Corn Ferry and Personnel Decisions International before they got bought out by Corn Ferry. Before striking out on my own in 2008, I created the firm Select Human Resources, and that's been going strong since. Something else that could be interesting about me is I grew up on a Christmas tree farm in upstate New York. So Wow, that is a good oh. fun fact. Oh, yes. Like oh, that. here we go. It's like he did it ahead of time. <laughs> oh, that, <laughs> and, was, and, that <laughs> was a fun fact too early? <laughs> oh, no, we'll have more. Okay. <laughs> I just wanted to start off because uh, your article talks about HR becoming a thought leader. And for our listeners, I think uh, the word thought leader can be, or the title of thought leader could be a little confusing. Could you expand on that? What makes a thought leader? Yeah. So, you know, I did a little, a little research for the article and I actually looked up thought leader and definitions of thought leader. And so what I found is, is that, you know, basically it's business jargon. I don't think it's listed in the Encyclopedia Britannica or anything like mm-hmm. that. So I have heard the term throughout my career. I'm sure all of you have heard it thrown around here and there. Um, my understanding is it is that um, it's basically, I mean, it's two parts. It's thought and it's, it's leadership. So you have to have knowledge, right? Some useful knowledge, but then you have to be able to influence and persuade. And I think that's actually maybe the heavier part of thought leadership, right? We can all have great ideas, but how do we get other people to accept those ideas and run with those ideas? And thought leaders are exceptional at doing that. And I think thought leaders are real change agents, not only in business, but in society. I mean, they can inspire people to think differently and do differently and to innovate. And, you know, where would we be without thought leaders? And I'm sure when I say thought leaders, I mean, people, I mean, there's people that pop into your head that have really made their impact on the world. So 
thought leadership is incredibly important, obviously. And then it gets me thinking about, well, what is its place in human resources? Like you, you just mentioned, Dr. Joe, you said, you know, how, how do we become thought leaders? Why I struggled with the, with the idea that, I mean, is HR a thought leader? And then, you know, just thinking back on my own experiences in large companies, I have seen great examples of HR thought leaders who are looked at as thought leaders in smaller and mid-sized companies. I have seen HR people completely disregarded, even if they've got Mm -hmm. the best idea in the room, you Mm -hmm. know? So I think there's a wide range um, in HR. My feel is, is that HR as a whole, I mean, if we're going to be stereotypical about it, is not, let's put it this way, they're not the the, the first department people think of when they think of thought leadership. Mm -hmm. Which is wild though, right? Because people make businesses go, right? We need people, we need humans, we need folks to run our businesses. So it's interesting that we don't automatically think of like human resources could be a thought leader to help innovate, push change forward, to help support the folks in our organizations that are the blood and lifelines. Right. Like if you do the math, like HR people should be well positioned to be thought leaders, you know, with their knowledge of people, you know, with their wide ranging responsibilities in organizations. So why aren't they perceived as thought leaders? And Gary, you also talk about the interpersonal communication skills, right, that naturally exist like in the HR profession, right, that they're well positioned to be thought leaders, right? It just takes a little bit of collaboration to do it. To your point, you're right. It's it's not just the what but it's the how, and it might be even more the how. And when it comes to things like interpersonal skills, influencing skills, general people skills, the stereotype at least is that HR people have that. They bring that to the table, right? I mean, a negative stereotype could be like HR people are all soft skills. Well, you know, soft skills are really important. So you'd think that there is like a wealth of skills to leverage in that Mm -hmm. regard for HR people to be thought leaders. Yeah, I mean, I think um, if we think about historical reasons why HR still looked like a functional area Mm -hmm. is why HR was born. Um, The age of unionization. Oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. now we need someone to manage all of these different um, aspects of work. Uh, The Anita Hill, when it came to sexual harassment, oh my gosh, we need HR to help us to build these policies and, Mm -hmm. and get us out of this quote-unquote mess. Mm-hmm. Or even just um, to administer benefits, right? It feels yes. very administrative, very mm-hmm. much like, oh, just get the work done or mm-hmm. just, you know, can you push this paperwork through? Can you hire someone for us? And then share their offer letter, right? Like, yes. you know. And it's very reactive. I think HR yes. has been a reactive, um, not profession, but a reactive role for any organization. Mm-hmm. And so there's an issue that comes up that organizations can't seem to wrap their head around. HR seems to be the one to be the first people to wrap their head around, especially after COVID. Well, during COVID. Mm-hmm. It's like, again, we see the spikes in how HR is perceived, um, how they can help an organization. And I think right now we're seeing a renaissance in how HR has grown as not only decision makers, but people that actually could help save a company. Yeah, Gary, I'd love to hear a little bit more of your thoughts on if I think HR is starting to set itself up to be more strategic thinkers, more proactive thinkers, more of that like key strategic business partner. But we have a lot of contention in organizations sometimes if leaders aren't thinking of us that way, right? Do you have any recommendations or suggestions for our listeners who might be thinking like, I want to be that thought leader in my organization, but my CEO, my CFO, or even my VP of HR may not even be looking at me in that way? Yeah. Um, so... What we've been talking about, to me, stems from 
common HR stereotypes, right? And if if there is a stereotype out there that HR, you know, HR departments aren't good thought leaders, then I think that's something that needs to be addressed on the onset. I mean, perhaps that executive in the example that you just shared with me is thinking there's no real value. I mean, does HR have thought leadership value to add? So the short answer to your question, you know, how do you, so if you're an HR professional in an organization and you're thinking, gosh, how do I get a seat at the table? How, how come people aren't listening to me? The quickest and easiest answer is, well, Say something smart. Say something. <laughs> say something that has value. Say, uh, say something that is going to get people thinking differently. And the reason why I bring that up, along with this, this idea of stereotypes, is it's hard for HR professionals. I'm speaking in, in general here to go against the grain. I think like one of the maybe unspoken and sometimes spoken expectation out there is that HR people are going to align with and support whatever you know the leadership of the company, the senior leadership, you know, I'm doing air quotes here of the company decides. So that's very different. That's a 180 from, you know, alliance support is, is 180 from what a lot of thought leaders do. And that is question, challenge, you know, push back on things and bringing it back to those interpersonal skills that we talked about. I think HR people are in a unique position to do that well, because you can question something in a skeptical, condescending way, or you can question something in a very, you know, curious and helpful and supportive way. Mm-hmm. So I think HR professionals have to develop that voice. You know, what is the, uh, I call it a questioning attitude, right? I'm sure a lot of people call it a, a questioning attitude, but it's not necessarily a doubtful attitude, but it's just, um, in the article, I talk about three different areas you can do that in. One is with the problem itself. Mm-hmm. Another is uh, in terms of uh, the assumptions and honing influencing skills, right? So I'll give you a quick example. So I was on a, a, a discussion with IO psychologists not too long ago, and they were all talking about the great resignation, yeah. you know, and they were saying, hey, we're IO psychologists. Um, we should be able to solve this problem. You know, we are uniquely equipped to go in and talk with senior leadership and tell them, you know, this is what we do about the great resignation. And so this discussion with all these ideas about how to alleviate the great resignation and how to get senior leaders to, to listen to you went on for about an hour. And then I had been thinking the whole time and I finally weighed in and said, you know, let's back up here and ask a what if question. And what if questions are, I think, very powerful. So we were talking about this great resignation. I said, you know, what if the leaders of corporations are actually fine mm. with a great resignation? You are mm. all seeing it as a problem. So this is an example of questioning the problem, right? Questioning mm. the assumptions under the problem. What if they have discovered that, you know, this is a great way to get the free thinkers out of our company? If you're going to stand oh, up and say, hey, I don't, I, think, I don't think benefits are great here or, you know, I, I don't like, I don't think what the company is doing is ethical or what have you. Gone. You're going to make your job, you know, yeah, you're, yeah. we're going we're gonna to make you leave basically, right? And so that person went out the door and now who comes in? Somebody who's much more compliant. Yeah. Right? Change never happens, they're, right? They're yeah. going to be fine yeah. with, you know, bad pay. Bad, mm-hmm. I'm just being, you know, mm-hmm. completely serious. So that really got these other IO psychologists thinking, you know, it really stopped the room and said, well, wait a minute. Did you have to be an expert in the great resignation in order to have that thought leadership? No, what you had to do is just pull it back and say... Let's take a look at the presenting problem. Is it even, even is, is it a problem, right? I mean, so thought leadership comes down to being able to look at things differently. So yeah. 
I don't know if we got around to answering your question. <laughs> well, I think you you actually answered it quite well because it almost puts the little takes a little bit of pressure off of I need to be a subject matter expert. I need to know all the details, or I need to be super highly level researched in an area where it's really no. You just got to be willing to ask a question. But I will add, it feels like a little bit. You also need to know the business, right? You need mm-hmm. to be willing to understand. What does the business do? What's the business model? What are the goals of the organization? So that when you walk into those rooms, you can question in an effective or educated manner, right? You can't just come in there asking off-the-cuff questions, and right? I, I think you're touching upon credibility, yeah. mm-hmm. too, mm-hmm. right? So people want to be able to see you as credible. Although I will say there could be instances where being naive, you know, mm-hmm. not being familiar with, you know, what is considered the norm actually allows you to have open eyes about, hey, why do you, why do, you do that here? You know, it's, oh, wow, we never thought about that. We always just always have done that. So somebody who's completely new coming in, that could be an advantage for them. But yeah, you do need kind of a base, a baseline level of knowledge to be credible, I'd say. Yeah, I was just going to piggyback on um, the recommendations Kayla asked. And one of the things that I've seen that really works well when HR can be positioned as a thought leader is really connecting with like affinity groups, employee resource groups, because I've seen it work really well in the organization where now that HR person, like you said, is part of a process improvement opportunity, right? They're seen as a subject matter expert in a part of a process without taking the pressure of having to solve it all. And also, I've seen it work with affinity groups. I know this is dear to your heart, Kayla, Um, because take, for example, a really great benefit exists at an organization. I've seen where an HR person is invited to that group to talk about housing stipends or anything that really gets employees excited about being a part of the organization. It's kind of like softening the blow, but establishing that relationship with their peers. And I think that could go a long way or just, you know, kind of sitting at the table in certain groups um, in, in an organization. It kind of feeds into being part of the strategic planning too for the enterprise. Couldn't agree more. Um, it's amazing. If you are positioned as helpful or if people see you as somebody that can help them, right? They have this inclination to tune into you, right? Mm-hmm. And, and listen to what you have to say. So anytime you are presenting yourself as an HR person that's looking to make something better. Um, in the article, I think I referred to it as um, like a catalytic mm-hmm. a catalytic yeah. approach. So if yeah. you're an HR professional in an organization that might not be too open to perspectives from HR, it could be wise to kind of toe in the water approach by um, starting with existing programs and policies and then just adding, that's the catalyst piece, mm-hmm. just, just adding some ideas about how to make them a little bit better, a little bit more effective. That way you're not upsetting the apple cart too much, right. you are presenting yourself in a helpful way, and that usually opens up people's ears. And that could be, again, a, a way to kind of wedge into opening people's perspectives uh, of you as a thought leader. Yeah, this is making me, you also honestly jogged a lot of thoughts for me in general, which <laughs> happens a lot. But, um, you know, something also that I'm thinking about here is almost also psychological safety and how are we building that in our organization so people can question. Because I'm thinking about some of these environments where like I would love to question it or I would have loved to speak up or maybe share my thought that didn't align with the group think that's happening in the meeting maybe, but I didn't feel psychologically safe. So yeah. is there something that we can do as an individual or I know HR is even uniquely positioned to maybe even create those cultures do you have some kind of thoughts there around what we can do to support those? I honestly, I think it begins with your own individual's yeah. resilience, 
Mm. Um, let's think about some of like the most iconic thought leaders that you know you can think of throughout history. They were not popular. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They were not um, applauded or revered. A lot of them. I mean, I'm thinking all the way back to like. Galileo, right? I think it was Galileo who said like, uh, hey, you know what? I don't think the earth is the center of the solar system. It might be the sun. Like they literally put him yeah. in jail, like yeah. like house arrest mm-hmm. and, and basically cancel culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. flat you know, so, earthers, right? Are still out here saying that we're still <laughs> yeah, the center of the earth. So. I mean, don't go too far. <laughs> you so, make oh, the edge. I think that's something that we revere about thought leaders is that they do have the courage, the leadership courage to go against the grain. Like, how can you really bring any sort of different perspective if you're concerned about being different? Now, it certainly would be helpful if the context was that, you know, there's the psychological safety and all ideas are uh, welcome, et cetera, et cetera. But I, there's almost something counterintuitive in that to human nature, right? Mm. Because if, you, if you're going to bring something new and different, it's got to be, you know, change is hard, right? And, and human beings, they, they gather momentum, right? Whatever it is that they've been doing, they want to keep doing. So it's a tough question. I would, to listeners, I would say, expect that it's not going to be psychologically <laughs> safe. And then that becomes, well, then how do you deal with the pushback? How do you, it becomes... Exactly. It becomes all about how do you how do you influence people and win them over? Yeah, I don't know if that can be guaranteed through the con. It could be made better, and I don't have a good answer to like how can you make the. I mean, modeling is always a good right. right so if you can, right. if you're in the type of company culture where anytime anybody brings up a dissenting question, you know someone else jumps down their throat. As an HR person or as a leader in that organization, you should, you know, comes back to I'm talking about behavioral reinforcement now, the, the psychologist part of me, uh, but positively reinforcing the behaviors you want to see and negatively re- reinforcing the ones you don't. But it's yeah. tough. Yeah, I think um, resilience of the HR professionals, we, we have it. I yeah. think we may have not used it to challenge as much hmm. as we can. I think to your point, that's what had my wheels turning. So just like Kayla, I was just like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. We already are not liked a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> in our organizations. <laughs> HR seems to have that reputation, regardless of how good you are, that either they're towing the company line or on the opposite end, they're advocating for certain things that may hurt some groups and may, may be beneficial for others. And it depends on that privilege. But for us, it's like, why not take that advantage of already, you know what, we already built this resilience. We already know we're not necessarily the most liked, so why not challenge? I think that's something for us to kind of realize. Uh, we we kind of already have a little bit of that in, our, mm-hmm. in us. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting that you bring that up, Dr. Joe, because I wonder if a lot of people gravitate towards the human resource profession because they like people and they want to be liked and they oh, want to man. do nice things yeah. to make, you know, make people's lives better, et cetera, et cetera. But then what ends up happening in the real world is you're seen as like the corporate enforcer Ooh, police correct. and people are angry at the, at the HR person. But part of the reason why I bring that up is if, you know, you've got people who are gravitating towards HR because they want everything to go swimmingly, then that could add to not having a whole bunch of people being in HR being thought leaders, right? Because they don't want to rock the boat. I feel like um, something you said, Kayla, about, you know, just kind of the whole position in this thought leader. So I am in the non-HR function um, at my organization, more on the workforce development, non-credit side of the house. But I collaborate with HR. And one of the ways that I really kind of 
my paradigm like shifted on the way I viewed HR as the thought police, as the enforcer, was when I was really going through a salary negotiation, mm-hmm. right? So now I'm like on the employee side and I needed an ally. I needed support other than management. Mm-hmm. I felt like it had to escalate to HR and I was hesitant. Mm-hmm. I have to admit that, right? Yeah. I'm like, oh boy, you know, they're going to be on the company side. Like, you know, they're going to go all the reasons why I shouldn't get it. And actually, the HR business partner really helped me put together like a strategic plan and just a way to position and advocate for myself. And that was really appreciated, right? So I think it's something as stressful as salary negotiations, you know, promotion here, HR business partner really sat down like on a continuous basis and was like, this is how you should approach it. And this is, you know, some of the rationale you have is very valid. And let me help you advocate um, for yourself and senior leadership level. So I think just thinking about those times on the employee side when you really need that HR person, instead of being hesitant, you can just kind of reach out and think about how they can help you get to where you need to be. And that HR business partner did help you. Yeah, absolutely. Give you some really useful advice and you see them as a a thought leader. Very valuable. Yeah. Very valuable. Kayla, I'm glad I want to go back to something that you brought up uh, just a few minutes ago. You mentioned strategic thinking. Yes. Uh, And earlier we talked about how HR can be pretty reactive. And that's not something I touched upon in my article, but I think it's important to talk about. And that is, that's a part of thought leadership. Mm. The way I define strategic thinking is thinking very long-term and very broad, right? So what are the longer-term implications of a decision and how might the decision affect the wider scope of things? And I think a lot of HR people get caught up in handling the Mm day-to-day tactical emergencies that come up, putting out fires, Mm -hmm. and that doesn't give you any space to really think long-term and big picture. And there are huge long-term and big picture issues that are impacting companies, impacting society right now. I mean, a big one for me that I'm wondering about is, let me start here. I think HR had to really step up and do a lot of heavy lifting when it came to COVID, yeah, right? for sure. Absolutely. So, and a lot of people have perceived HR as the arbiter of, you know, the COVID, you know, the, the installer of the COVID, whatever, right? And so what has been happening as of late is that, you know, more information is coming out about, hey, maybe the vaccines don't work so well and this and that. People are going to be, I, what I foresee is that people are going to be upset and people are going to be saying and looking for others to blame and say, you know, oh, the only reason why I did that is because HR made me. So mm-hmm. is HR, do they see that bubble coming down the pike? I mean, it's coming. Are, are we getting ready to, you know, how are we going to handle that? You know, what, what if there's more repercussions from things like that? One other issue, and it's kind of along the same lines is that, I don't know if you've all noticed this, but to me, it seems that HR, the function of HR is getting more encroached upon or if you want to put it positively, there's more collaboration uh, <laughs> between HR and government, right? Mm-hmm. So there's always been overlap, right? right. Even when it yes. comes to hiring somebody, mm-hmm. you have to make sure, you know, you get the I-9 right. form course, and all that yeah. sort of stuff. But now it seems like it's encroaching even further, yes. right? Where government is looking for companies to almost do their agenda, right? When you think about things like ESG scores, you know, envir- yep. environmental, global, whatever that is. Some people are saying, hey, that's kind of a workaround to get around like law, right? Like with the whole Twitter file dump and stuff like that. <laughs> like, hey, we're we're an organization, you know, the government can't do that, but let's put pressure on the airline companies to have a mask mandate, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. So the company's doing it, not the government. So then the company can, but not the government. Whoa, like mm-hmm. we have just got into some really tenuous ethical territory. And I I just, 
I know HR people are being leaned on for that kind of stuff. And I don't know what their perspectives are on it. I don't think people, I don't hear people talking enough mm. about that. Mm. But, and, and it's almost like a taboo subject, right? And those are the ones that really make you wonder. It's like, oh, oh, if we can't talk about this thing that everyone's asking us to do, that's something we really got to talk about. So how does it even feel like as HR people, when I bring up things like COVID or ESG score, I mean, I can see like all of us getting a little bit more reserved, a mm-hmm. little bit more like, oh, that's a bit dicey there, Gary, careful where you're treading kind of thing. But that's exactly the type of thing I think HR thought leaders should be focused on. Mm-hmm. That's what's coming over the horizon. I think your article has kind of helped us start in terms of the steps that we can start taking to become thought leaders in our organizations. Yeah. Thanks, Dr. Joe. I mean, it's a it's a huge it's a huge topic, right? Yes. So yeah. there's a, a lot of angles on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we and we can see that starting starting to talk about any angle starts to <laughs> <laughs> we'll start going off on every type of path. We could right. be here for days. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. We're creating some great thought leaders here, hopefully, with our listeners today. So hopefully, go out and disrupt is, is the goal right. for today, right? Yep. Uh, Kayla, would you like to ask our fun question as we wrap oh, up yes, with uh, yes. with Gary. Thank you so much, Gary, for your time today. It's been fantastic to speak with you on this wonderful topic. So we do like to wrap up our episodes with a kind of fun question to get to know you a little bit more. But, you know, you're a business psychologist, consultant, HR guru out here, right? But, you know, in this multiverse that we live in, right, mm-hmm. what is another Gary doing out there? Like ideally dream job if you were not this business psychologist? If I wasn't a business psychologist, yes. what Good, would I? Yeah, Gary in another universe. <laughs> so um, so this, this is going to bring me back to when I was a kid and what my some of my early career interests were. I, I always wanted to invent something, create like a new gizmo or some, some new awesome invention, right? And so when I was a kid... I thought that meant like taking like drafting classes or something like that. I, I, I'm not great at math, right? Mm-hmm. So I never went mm-hmm. like that direction with it. But creating something new, different, yeah. Yeah. Um, and having that gain like mass popularity would be so cool. Like I've done a little bit, I mean, recent, because I've been doing assessment for so long and I know the assessment space, when the pandemic hit and things slowed down for business, I said, hey, hey, now's a good time maybe for me to invent something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I in- invented my own assessment. Oh, one- that's so oh, cool. Yeah. 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 So one thing that's so always... living it. Yeah. <laughs> so when you, you know, that's when you, you're going to do the, the hobbies, right, is when you have some mm-hmm. time away from work, either, whether it's uh, because you want it or it's because of contextual factors. But yeah, so one thing that really has captivated me is the idea of using cognitive testing, right? So you see if someone, like how good of a problem solver a person is or how good they are at deductive or inductive reasoning. And so when you do these assessments at the executive level, you end up picking people who are at the top of the scale, right? 90th percentile in comparison to other executives on your ability to think like Sherlock Holmes, like, oh, you're going to be awesome. (laughs) But then six months later, that leader makes a a business decision that loses the company like a billion dollars, right? And so everyone's left scratching their head. How can somebody, by every tested method, who is brilliant, right, still end up making these terrible decisions? So I wanted to create an assessment that uh, figured that out. Basically, and I don't like putting it this way, but why do smart people still make stupid decisions? Is there a big disconnect (laughs) that you can share just between, like you said, that perfect profile of an employee and then a bad decision 
for the company later on? Is there something that kind of stands out? When Yeah, when I look into it, so when you take a look at actual instances where the executives made the worst decisions, oftentimes it's because there was either a very huge risk or a very huge reward involved. You know, if you want to take like the pharmaceutical uh, SVP who uh, breaks some laws by offering, you know, a physician a vacation or something, if they take their, uh, they sign on to their, their drug or whatever, you know, that person in their mind was going to get a huge bonus for signing mm-hmm. that that uh, particular person. So what I think is happening is, is that we are human beings. Uh, if you take an evolutionary perspective on it, you know, we are all doing what we can to survive, get food and get shelter and all those sorts of things. And I think that is the core base of our, of our brain. And that's, what's really running the show, like, you know, survival. And so you've got this higher order, like thinking mm-hmm. piece, but if you have like this huge, like, wow, I could make a million bucks and you know, be fine mm-hmm. and never have to worry about buying groceries ever again. <laughs> like <Delicious>. that <laughs> overrides your conscious mind and actually changes the way mm. you see things. A very, yeah. I, a very quick experiment. I guarantee you only be like a 30 second long. But what they did is they took people who were looking up, like say you're standing at the base of a skyscraper and you look up and they say, hey, estimate how, how tall it is, right? And they'd estimate a number. Then they take a person to the top of that building. Okay, look down. Same building, mm-hmm. same distance. Then have them estimate how far much farther, two to three times more farther. And people actually perceive that. So there, like your brain's kicking in saying, whoa, we're in a dangerous situation here. I'm going to make this look even farther for you. Mm. So you step step back away from that ledge and you've got no conscious awareness of that happening. And I think that happens in business and with business decisions all the time, that these, these evolutionary parts of your brain are kicking in and changing what you see to make things work out better for you. So, Very um, interesting. No, I went off on a tangent on that one. No, that's, that's a whole that's other insane. podcast again, yeah. episode <laughs> there. Like I'm talking about perceptions mm-hmm. here, how assessments, and I'm like, can we fix the organizational structures then too? <laughs> yep. Folks in the individual, what's the next steps? Like, I'm we have not enough time. for a show specifically <laughs> yeah. about the psychology of it all, right? I'd be happy yeah. to. Yeah. But the, the answer to your question in short, you know, be an inventor. Yeah. Mm. Well, it sounds like you're almost achieving it already, huh? Yeah. We hope that you've enjoyed listening to our conversation and got some ideas for yourself and your organizations. Please connect with us on social media like Instagram and LinkedIn with our handle at Philly Sherm or by searching hashtag Philly Sherm to receive the latest information on our events and membership. Thank you for joining us. This is HR Fresh Take.